0: Hello and welcome to edition number 1896 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday, the 11th of November. I'm Peter B., and I edited this edition. And in the recording controls, opposite me, not beside me, this week is Eric Imerson. Now we've got stories from Hook Norton, Freeland, Ducklington, Burford, and many more places in our district about a roaring fire. A lorry's ban, objections to planning uh, developments, councillors allowances and many more. Our four readers this evening are Valerie Palmer, Alan Ravel, Amanda Harvey, and Nigel Jones. Uh, James, I beg your pardon. And so let's begin with uh, Valerie. Are you number one, Valerie? Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm getting confused here. And let's begin with Nigel,
1: then. You've got a story about a blazing fire, haven't you? That's right. And it's headed, Bales of hay ignite in roaring fire. Crews from Hook Norton, Chipping Norton and Chalbury fire stations were called to reports of more than 100 hay bales alight at about 10.43pm on Sunday night. The incident happened on the Hook Norton Road between Hook Norton and Rollwright. When crews arrived, they were faced with the challenge of quelling an inferno, which was right next to the road. A spokesman for Oxfordshire Fire and Rescue Service said they were helped by the landowner and crews and they worked throughout the night to make sure the fire was under control. It was a busy day for emergency services in the region. Earlier in the day, a tumble dryer caused extensive damage to a home in Tame.
0: Now Amanda, you've got a story about lorries going through Burford or not.
2: A councillor in a, in a Cotswold beauty spot has defended a ban on lorries from passing through their town following complaints from drivers who say it's hitting their businesses. Hauliers say a ban on HGVs in historic Burford is forcing them to use other roads causing damage to minor roads across the Windrush Valley and they say the restriction is unfair. The Windrush Valley Traffic Action Group represents 51 haulage and transport companies who are angered by the Oxfordshire County Council decision to allow the ban to remain in place until at least February 2022. A spokesman for Whitney Plant High said the restriction is having a huge negative impact on business, adding all our deliveries north of Burford on some occasions are taking up to two hours longer and forcing our HGVs off good A roads onto smaller B roads. Whitney Town has supported the Hawley's campaign since an interim report in June revealed there has been an 80% increase in HGVs in Whitney's air quality management area, Bridge Street and on West End. Earlier this year, it wrote to the County Council urging it to engage with all of those affected, including Burford Town Council, to explore alternative options. Burford Town Councillor John White said the Council had tried to work with opponents of the ban to find a solution – He said we tried very hard to involve the Road Haulage Association but they did not respond despite two meetings. They would not even give us the contact details of hauliers in our area. He said Burford Town Council had not underestimated the impact on haulage and villages, adding we and the County Council were well aware that if HGVs did not go down Burford High Street they would go somewhere else. That was the whole point in making the traffic regulation order an experimental traffic regulation order for 18 months. The one exception is farming. We are in a very rural region and should have realised that a special case should have been made for exempting farmers. He added, we're now devising a scheme to help farmers which will be brought into force in the new year if the order is made permanent. Asked whether the permit scheme was fair, he said, the permit scheme is more than fair. Most weight limits have no permit scheme at all. Our order required us to install a scheme to protect local businesses, which everybody in their right minds thinks businesses based in per- which everybody in their right minds thinks means businesses based in Burford. That didn't stop hauliers from Plymouth to Aberdeen applying. So we de- decided to define the exemption zone as businesses with an operational base within a radius of 4.8 miles from Burford. If you can find a more tolerant permit scheme, I shall be interested to see it.
0: Uh, Valerie, a you story about councillors and
3: allowances. Yes, the headline is, councillors vote to raise allowances. County councillors in Oxfordshire have voted to increase their annual allowances to £12,000, a rise of nearly £1,000. An independent pay review found that Oxfordshire County Council had fallen behind and that an increase in the basic rate to support a more diverse range of people and achieve wider representation on the council would be appropriate. It means that all 63 county councillors will now be offered £12,000 per year, a £986.23 increase. Almost all of the roles which attract additional pay will also be subject to increases with the leader of the council set to be offered three times the basic rate – an extra £36,000, which includes a rise of more than £4,000. Overall, £98,842.98 worth of increases have been advised and sanctioned, but it is up to individual councillors whether they take all, some or none of their allowance. The Fair Deal Alliance Coalition of Liberal, Democrat, Labour and Green councillors that rules in Oxfordshire was split on the matter. All Liberal Democrat and Green councillors voted for the increases. All bar two Labour councillors voted against, Damien Haywood, Ifley Fields and St Mary's, and Charlie Hicks Cowley both abstained, with all Conservatives abstaining. The new pay structure was passed by 22 votes to 12, with 19 abstentions. Eddie Reeves, Conservative Banbury-Cawthorpe, leader of the opposition, had made the case for the matter to be delayed until the budget in February. Councillor Freddie Van Mierlo, Liberal Democrat, Charlgrove and Watlington, said the allowance rates act as a barrier to prospective councillors of working age and that the rise was about ensuring the composition of the council is reflective of Oxfordshire, He said voting against would perhaps spare ourselves some uncomfortable headlines, but we will lose so much more. However, Liz Brickhouse, Labour, Churchill and Lye Valley, Deputy Leader of the Council, said prospective councillors never mention the issue of allowances. To say this is stopping diversity and bringing in one group of people, I don't believe that is necessarily the case, she said. I do believe we need to make it easier for people when they get here. People with children, for instance.
0: Alan, Jemima Khan is in the news again.
4: She is indeed. Uh, The headline on this story is Jemima Severs Link with Crown Drama over Diana. Jemima Khan has pulled out of a project to help the creator of hit Netflix series The Crown write about the years leading up to the death of her close friend, Princess Diana the 47-year-old who owns Kiddington Hall, near Woodstock, was brought in by Peter Morgan to help write the script for the latest season, which is set to focus on the conflict between Prince Charles and Diana in the early 1990s until her death in a car crash in Paris in 1997. But she backed out because its depiction of Diana was not handled as respectfully or compassionately as she had hoped. Ms. Kahn told the Sunday Times, In 2019, Peter Morgan asked me to write or co-write on the fifth series of The Crown, particularly those episodes which concerned Princess Diana's last years. After a great deal of thought, having never spoken publicly about any of this before, I decided to contribute. We worked together on the outline and scripts from September 2020 until February 2021. When our co-writing agreement was not honoured and when I realised that particular storyline would not necessarily be told as respectfully or compassionately as I had hoped, I requested that all my contributions be removed. Ms Khan had worked on storylines on Diana's relationships with heart surgeon Haznat Khan and Egyptian film producer Dodi Fayed as well, Uh, As well as her BBC Panorama interview, it was said. A spokesman for The Crown said Jemima Khan has been a friend, fan, and a vocal public supporter of The Crown since season one. She has been part of a wide network of well informed and varied sources who have provided extensive background information to our writers and research team. She has never been contracted as a writer on the series. Councillors
1: Unite to object to retirement village plan. Plans for a large retirement village in Freeland has attracted more than two hundred and fifty objections. Councillors have joined together to fight the planning application for the 160 unit site, with just three letters written in support of the development. Objectors hope that West Oxfordshire District Council will refuse the application by inspired villages. Oxfordshire County Council for um, Councillor Liam Walker, together with district councillors Ala al Youssef and Marilyn Davis, said in a joint statement that this site is not part of WODC's local plan. The statement read, We endorse the objections submitted by more than 250 residents of the parish council and will demand that the planning decision makers at the district council stand firm and defend the integrity of the local plan which has deliberately excluded this site on the basis of its unsuitability for development. Residents expect the local plan to provide them with a certainty and protection from large speculative developments. Mr Walker's own objection comment, among 255 on the council website, said Freeland is the wrong place for the proposed development. The comment read, Freeland does not have the facilities needed to sustain this type or size of development. This type of site would be better suited in one of West Oxfordshire's many larger connected communities. Freeland Parish Council reported it is unanimous in in its objection. Jamie Bunce, Chief Executive of Inspired Villages, said, We are dedicated to bringing forward schemes which not only address the chronic shortage of housing for older people across the UK, but which are designed and built to respond to local community needs. There is a significant unmet need in the whole west of West Oxfordshire for homes that are especially designed for older people, and the over 65 population in the area is set to increase by 38% by 2035. Our proposals at Freeland have been designed to address this critical shortage of specialist accommodation for older residents, whilst also delivering a range of new facilities, including a village clubhouse and shop, wellness centre and transport to surrounding retail and leisure outlets, all open to the local community. To ensure our proposals are best responded to local needs, we have met with local politicians and parish councillors to gain feedback and began engaging with planning officers at WODC in December 2018, making representations to the Salt Cross Area Action Plan. We have also undertaken extensive engagement with local residents over the past year to ensure local priorities are reflected in our design. The application for land on the west side of Roslyn Road can be viewed on the WODC planning pages.
2: This story is about a prankster changing signs in a homes protest. A prankster has changed the text on road signs in Whitney in a protest against new and proposed developments in the town. A photograph was shared on the Spotted Whitney official Facebook group, sparking a debate about whether new homes should be built in the town. One of the signs says, say no new Whitney Estates, while another says Kingfisher Habitat destroyed meadows. Laura Whitelock, who lives in the town, said, without the new housing being built, many local people aged 20 plus would be forced to move out of Oxfordshire and away from their families and then be isolated in a new county with no contacts. Is that what you want? But another local resident, Catherine Wood, said, the infrastructure needs addressing before any more of these new estates shock after UB40 singer set to play at Blenheim dies.
3: UB40 vocalist Astro, real name Terence Wilson, has died after a short illness. The musician, who since the breakup of the band performed with UB40 frontman Ali Campbell, was due to play Nocturne at Blenheim Palace next summer. UB40 were one of the most popular British bands of the 80s releasing hits including Red Red Wine and Falling in Love with You. It is not yet known whether the show will go ahead without Astro. A statement on the band's official Twitter said, We are absolutely devastated and completely heartbroken to have to tell you that our beloved Astro has today passed away after a very short illness. The world will never be the same without him. We ask you to please respect his family's privacy at this incredibly difficult time. Astro was a member of UB40 from the late 1970s until 2013, when he left to team up with Campbell and keyboardist Mickey Virtue, who had previously quit. Virtue later departed the breakaway group after the release of 2018 album A Real Labour of Love. A statement from the current UB40 lineup said, RIP Astro.
4: And this story is headlined Vandal Hit Transport Depot Given CCTV Gift. A community transport group plagued by vandalism has been handed free CCTV. In June, West Oxfordshire Community Transport, or WOCT, moved to a new depot in Windrush Valley Road, but it was struck by repeated break-ins and vandalism. Walls were smashed, electrical wires were ripped out, and fires started. Now, Whitney IT company, Craymar, has stepped in to offer free installation of CCTV at the transport depot. Andrew Lyon, head of operations for WOCT, said... The offer came somewhat out of the blue, but we were absolutely delighted by Kramar's quick generosity and community spirit. Moving into our new home hasn't been without its challenges, but the warm response from the community, and particularly the support of local companies like Craymar, has been really encouraging. It's wonderful to see local businesses going out of their way to support each other, and having the CCTV installed will give us peace of mind and allow us to keep focusing on serving our community. Mike Dove, a Craymar director, said, Hopefully this will put an end to the vandalism issues and allow WOCT to carry on providing this amazing service to the town and surrounding villages, without being constantly worried about this kind of thing happening again.
1: Our next item is headed, Outcry over plans to build homes on heart of the village more than 100 objection comments have been penned over plans to build homes on a village field that is described as the heart of the community outline planning permission is being sought for up to over 120 homes that will be put on land east of whitney road in ducklington however objections submitted on the west oxfordshire district council planning portal Say that if houses are built on Moore's Field, they will no longer be it uh, will no longer be suitable uh, as a pedestrian route into Whitney. Concerns about the possible impact of increased traffic and potential flooding have also been raised, with uh, within the 110 objections written upon publication. One objection comment written by Ian Halfpenny says, "This open space with public footpaths." is the heart of the community. We meet other walkers, dog walkers and members there often. To lose this space, I believe, would be a negative impact on the mental health of a lot of the community. It is only the open space that we have nearby to de-stress and unwind in nature. I do not believe the field is suitable for housing and would be very concerned about the impact on wildlife as a result. Another objection comment by Emma Morse says, Field is one, the one remaining oasis in a stretch of residential properties. Her comment reads, This is a natural established wildlife habitat, an area of green space and countryside which is easily accessible by foot for local community to use. Destroying this area would leave many without easily uh, accessible green space in which to walk in the countryside. Greg Young added that the proposed development would erode the village feeling of Ducklington. Despite the objections, a planning statement prepared on behalf of Ainscoff Strategic Land said the site is relatively unconstrained. The planning statement reads, The scheme offers the opportunity to contribute to the housing supply in West Oxfordshire and provide up to 120 new homes, including affordable housing. The site is relatively unconstrained and is in a suitable location with services and facilities in both Ducklington and Whitney and walking distance and cycling distance. To view the planning application, go to the WODC planning portal.
2: This story is headed Sex Predators Victims Urge Others to Report. Victims of a child rapist have urged other victims of sexual predators that it's never too late to report the abuse they suffered. Anthony Pitts, 39, was jailed for 12 years in June, three months after an Oxford jury found him guilty of rape, indecent assault and sexual assault against two victims. He subsequently had the sentence upped to 18 years by the Court of Appeal. The former RAF Bryce Norton workers, two victims, only children when they were abused by Pitts, have spoken out for the first time about the abuse they suffered. The boy, now a man in his 30s, told the Oxford Mail, I feel he's ruined my life. He added, I feel like I'll never be the same person. I feel like my childhood was taken away from me. He told me quite a few times that if I were to come out about what he'd done, he'd make sure I was taken away from my family. I froze. Pitt's second victim, now a mother with children of her own, said she initially felt a great deal of relief when the abuser was jailed, followed by quite a bit of anger. I just didn't feel like it was long enough at all. The Court of Appeal later ruled that the Oxford judge was wrong to say the jail time for the offences against the different victims should be served concurrently, meaning at the same time. The justices ordered consecutive sentences, increasing Pitt's jail time to 18 years, His victim said it had felt more like true justice. The pair have now urged other victims of childhood sexual sexual abuse to come forward. There's always help out there, the man said. The female victim added, I want people to know that as long as somebody believes them, then it's never too late. There was never any doubt in my mind or my family's mind, we were telling the truth. None of us doubted it for a second. Knowing that we were believed helped us cope in the best way we could. Our case is proof that justice can happen, even if it's 12 years down the line. Both said their lives had been affected by what Pitts Pitts did. Describing the past two decades as hell, the woman said, I went completely off the rails as a teenager. I didn't look after myself. I didn't respect myself. I was just doing anything I could to have some form of control because I felt completely out of control my whole life. But I let him know he didn't win. I'm not that scared little girl anymore that he can just terrify and victimise. The male victim said he'd suffered from depression and post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of the abuse. For years and years I felt antagonised by him. That is why I wouldn't go out of the house. If it wasn't for my mum getting me to speak to somebody, I would still be in a downward spiral, he said. During Pitt's trial in March, jurors at Oxford Crown Court heard how the predator had groomed and sexually abused two children from the mid-90s to mid 2000, starting when he was around 14 years old himself. He had threatened both children to ensure their silence. And now three short
3: news items in brief. Man denies attack on bed with angle grinder. A man has denied using an angle grinder to, to cut into a bed while his victim was in it. Thomas Pearson, 39, is said to have used the tool as part of a campaign of coercive and controlling behaviour between January 2019 and September 2021. Over the two and a half years, he is accused of telling the woman, whom, who he'd known for two decades and with whom he was in an on-off relationship, to change her clothes, stopped her leaving the house in Hook Norton, controlled her money and stopped her eating. He also is also accused of assaulting the woman. Appearing before Oxford Crown Court on Tuesday, Pearson of Watery Lane, Hook Norton, pleaded not guilty to controlling behaviour and assault. Judge Maria Lamb remanded him into custody for a trial on February the 14th next year. Now the second item, in which I must admit uh, I have a personal interest as a member. Croquet Club's 25th Joy. Ancient Croquet Club has celebrated its 25th year by winning the Croquet Southern Federation Doubles Golf Croquet Championships. Having won the area league by winning 5 of the 6 games, Ancient went on to beat Test Valley from Dorset by a resounding 8-0 to win the championship. Players said it was a great end to a busy season despite COVID restrictions. Ainsham Croquet Club was formed in 1996 and played golf croquet on a public playing field. In 2004, it seized an opportunity to join Ainsham Cricket Club and lease approximately two acres that could be dedicated to croquet at the school piece off Cassington Road. In addition to the play areas, the club facilities include secure accommodation for playing equipment, hoops, balls, mallets and the essentials for maintenance. And I'm pleased to say this year we are still able to play and hopefully will be right through the winter. Now the third item, champagne theft case. A man who stole 111 pounds of champagne from a BP garage has been hauled in front of magistrates. David William John Seeger of Fallerfield Road in Whitney stole three bottles of Marks & Spencer's Louis Verte Brut Champagne from Buckland Service Station in Shrivenham Road, Farringdon. He admitted one count of theft when he appeared before Oxford magistrates. Seeger was ordered to pay back £111 in compensation. Louis Verte is described as an elegant, fruity and harmonious fizz with flavours of peach and berries. It retails at £105 for a case of six bottles.
4: And continuing on a theme here, I think, uh, the headline is Councillor on Quest for His Best Local. A councillor has launched a competition to find the best pub in his area. Oxfordshire County Councillor Liam Walker, who represents Hamburg and Minster Lovell, is on the search for the best pub in a bid to encourage people to support the hospitality industry. Mr Walker said the hospitality sector has been hit hard by the pressures of COVID-19 over the past 18 months, so I'm pleased to be launching my own Pub of the Year competition to celebrate the best of local pubs within the Hamburg and Minster Lovell division. In just over a week, there's already been more than a 100 votes cast by local residents or by those who have used one of the 14 great pubs I'm lucky to have across my eight parishes. I think this is a great opportunity to give our pubs the recognition they deserve after such a difficult period. Voting for Mr Walker's Pub of the Year competition is due to close at midnight on November 30th. In the meantime, the councillor is pledging to visit all 14 pubs over the next few weeks to help promote their businesses. Now, to vote for a favourite pub, visit uh, the councillor's website, which is www.liam-walker.com. And there's an illustration or a picture with the article which shows Liam Walker sitting outside one of the locals, which I'm guessing is uh, in Hamburg, and he has a pint of beer in front of him and a thumbs up.
1: Our next item is headed 3,000 march in call for climate action. More than 3,000 people marched in Oxfordshire to call for greater action from world leaders in tackling climate change. The Horns of Plenty brass band, youth activists and Imam Monawar Hussein led the way as protesters called for less talk and more action from governments in climate justice demonstration in Oxford, one of many to take place around the country. Saturday's event coincided with the COP26 climate summit in Glasgow. Groups taking part included Oxfordshire COP26 Alliance, Oxford Trades Council, Extinction Rebellion, Oxford Friends of the Earth, Unison, Oxford Youth Strike and Berkshire and Buckinghamshire and Oxfordshire Wildlife Trusts. Protesters turned up with banners and chants to get their voices heard. Traffic came to a halt and buses lined the high street as thousands attended the march from Mansill Way to Broad Street. The crowd chanted, No more blah, 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 echoing climate activist Greta Thunberg's recent speech in Glasgow as the marchers made their way to a rally addressed by Oxfordshire's two MPs, Annalisa Dodds and Leila Moran, youth climate activists and council leaders. Scientists were on hand to answer the public's questions. City Councillor Evin Abrishami said, Climate change is something that involves every one of us. We all have to work together to help. Oxford PhD student Jocelyn Perry was among the many students marching and said we are marching to make sure there is political pressure on all the world leaders in COP26 to do something now about climate change. We need to cut down emissions to go down to net zero much faster than 2050. We need, climate, uh, we need to fund climate adaptions and make sure people who are experiencing climate change have something to help them out. Oxford City Council leader Susan Brown, who spoke at the rally, said, We're all here to add our voice, to call on government and big institutions to do more. We need you to do more, a lot more, not tomorrow, now, today. And she added, We need government to step up. We need more challenging targets, more powers to local government to help us deliver more investment in green economy, green energy and green infrastructure. Oxford University academic Professor Nick Eyre researches climate and energy and spoke to the crowd about the science behind the climate crisis. He said, The agenda is pretty clear. We need less driving. We need better use of public transport. We need more support for cycling and walking. We need to change our heating systems to zero carbon. We need to insulate our homes. And yes, we need to fly less, including Prime Ministers as well.
0: Now, this week we've got a visiting speaker for our reflection, and he's going to be introduced by
1: Nigel. Thank you, Peter. Well, our um, person doing the reflection this evening is Richard Bowler, who is a local preacher on the Methodist circuit here in Whitney. Thank you, Richard.
5: Thank you. On Armistice Day and Remembrance Sunday, people stop and take time to reflect and remember all those who have lost their lives to war throughout time. The church plays an important part during this time and in the various acts of remembrance that take place. This is not limited to one kind of church or even one faith, but across all kinds of faith places. Across the globe and across time, people have needed to gather after times of great loss of life. Sometimes this is as a result of war, or sometimes natural disaster or human tragedy. These kinds of gatherings will often be led by local faith leaders who will help the whole community of all faiths and of no faith to remember. Churches often play a leading role in helping people to gather, as they can offer the space and are familiar with creating the kind of environment where people can bring a huge range of emotions. In the United Kingdom, Christian ministers have also been present during conflicts, with men and women serving as chaplains and padres to the armed forces. Different traditions have different views about war, but across Christian denominations, there is a commitment to peace and to help in those who suffer, whether they are in the armed forces or affected as civilians. As Christians, we say prayers which are offered for the peace of the world as well as for those who are mourning those who have been injured in mind or body and for those who still serve in the armed forces or as civilians supporting them. There is a sense of solidarity with others and a moment of stillness to remember which may coincide with a national moment of silence wherever that is possible. At Remembrance Services and Act of Remembrance we say the words They shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them nor the years condemn them. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we shall remember them. And everyone replies, we will remember them. These words are for everyone, not just those of the Christian faith. In churches, they may be followed by a prayer, asking God to keep those who have died in God's presence and also to be with those who mourn and help us all work for peace. For Christians, every day, every Sunday, is a Remembrance Sunday. For every Sunday, we remember a dying and a death. Every Sunday is a Remembrance Sunday. When we say, do this, in remembrance of me. It is individual and specific. One man's pain and darkness. One man's broken body and shed blood. One man's mother and best friend looking on in grief as his life ebbed away on the cross. The cross ties our human suffering to God's for eternity. We remember God remembers. A rabbi was asked whether a garment that had been symbolically torn in grief could be sewn up and used again. Yes, he replied. But you mustn't disguise the tear. The tear. The scar must always show. In other words, we always carry our collective and individual memories around with us. Time gives a perspective from which meanings can become clearer. The picture comes into focus. However, we must learn in the Ceremonies of Remembrance not to make it better by easy speeches that gloss over the particularities of suffering, loss and grief with the language of willing self-offering and the glorious dead. As Christians... We are so grateful to live in a land where we're free to worship the Lord and preach his gospel message. Freedom is never free. It always comes at a cost. The freedom we enjoy today came at a tremendous price. It was bought and paid for by our veterans, both past and present, making the ultimate sacrifice for their country and fellow citizens. Jesus told us, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. John chapter 15, verse 13. It was because of love that Jesus laid his life down for us at the cross. And he still loves us today more than we'll ever know. So I hope you'll join me in remembering those who have also laid down their lives for our freedom. Let's not forget the brave men and women who served the cause of freedom in the past, nor those whose service today enables us to continue to live and worship freely. Thank you, Richard, for sharing those
0: Armistice Day thoughts with us. Thank you very much. Now, as a footnote to Richard's Armistice Day uh, reflection, just a little bit of memory of my own. Um, during World War I, my mother-in-law was a nurse in Kent, and she told me of the trainloads of injured soldiers returning to be hospitalised. He described how they looked gaunt and haggard, Many of them coming direct from the front line with their uniforms infested with lice. Many of them were also suffering from shell shock. But in those days there was no such thing as post-traumatic stress disorder and the hospital's job was to patch them up and send them back to the front as quickly as possible. One of those soldiers was my father-in-law-to-be. Fortunately he survived the war they married, had four children, the youngest of whom was my late wife. And in more recent years, as a teacher, we used to take parties of children of 14 and 15 to Epe, and visit the World War I battlefield and the military cemeteries. And it always made a huge impression on them. Uh, now it's time for this week's Notice Board. And there are three birthdays in the coming week that we have to uh, say about. They're listed as, on November the 13th, Mrs. Christine Tompkins of Longhamra; On November the 18th, Barbara Cleary of Whitney. And Barbara was our very first Talking News Secretary. And on November the 19th, Stuart Hancock of Chipping Norton. To all of them, we wish you have a splendid day and great deal of celebration. And now it's time for the quiz. Uh, Last week's quiz was set by Alan. Fortunately, he's here, and hopefully he's got the answers.
4: Yes, so the quiz questions from last week all uh, concerned bonfire night, fireworks. So the first question was, what was Guy Fawkes' real first name? And the answer... I'm perhaps not the only one in the room to know, but it was Guido, G-U-I-D-O. Uh, question two was, which king did Guy Fawkes attempt to kill with his gunpowder plot? King
2: James. James I. And it
4: was King James I. Uh, the third question was, what year did the gunpowder plot take place? 1605. Mm-hmm. 1605. I hope you've got as many right answers at home.
0: Pirate, treason, and plot.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, question four last week was: What is the technical term for the making and displaying of fireworks? Pyrotechnics. Pyrotechnics. Uh, I don't expect everyone will know this. The answer to this one, which was the fifth and last question: How was Guy Fawkes? sentenced to be executed, and what actually happened. I take that silence as being uh, nobody knows the answer. That He was su- supposed to be, or he was sentenced to, be uh, hanged, drawn and quartered. However, he jumped from the ladder while climbing to the gallows and broke his neck. <laughs> so
0: thank you, Alan, and now it's time for this week's quiz. And here we go. Question number one. Very easy. In which English county are Wookie Hole and Cheddar Gorge? Question two. Which day of the week takes its name from the Anglo-Saxon god of war? Question three. Which English city was known to the Romans as Comalodunum? Question 4. The gallbladder is attached to which organ in the human body? And finally, question 5. In which English county did the Great Train Robbery take place? Answers next week. With you. And now we have to uh, announce the following deaths, which we are very sad to do. Firstly on the 28th uh, sorry the 23rd of October was David Crook no birth and uh, date of uh, birth or uh, his age or where he lived on the 24th of October Irene Joyce Wall aged 84 from Stanton Harcourt on the 29th of October Anthony known as Tony Molum aged 94 of Haley. On the 30th of October, Beryl Margaret Wheeler, aged 78, of Carterton. And on the 1st of November, Ken Mumford, aged 93, of Whitney. And all those of you who listen to the Whitney Talking News will remember Ken with great affection. He often did the reflections and was a reader for almost the start of this organisation until about five years ago. On the 2nd of November, Albert William, known as Jess Leach, aged 86, and Jeff Barnes. And finally, uh, Anne Kenny, aged 88, of Burford. And finally, on the 7th of November, Stephen, known as Steve Chick, aged 75, from Carterton. And of course, our sincere condolences go to all family and friends of the deceased.
2: This piece is about help to get disabled children cycling. A scheme which helps children with disabilities enjoy cycling is relaunched. Junior Wheels for All will run every Saturday from Wood Green School in Whitney with the sessions operated by Windrush Bike Project. Children aged 2 to 16 can take part with specially adapted bikes, recumbents, trikes, hand cycles and wheelchair carriers available. Windrush Bike Project director... Bridget Hickman, said she was delighted the bikes were back in action. Rob Shadbolt, head teacher at Wood Green, said, We're very proud to support and provide a home for this enterprising project that aims to provide access to cycling for children. Cycling is so good for well-being and independence. Whitney Mayor Joy Aitman added, Junior wheels for all gives young people the sense of freedom that cycling brings. There is an opportunity to try an amazing range of adapted cycles that can be cycled around a large, safe area. Wheels for All is a national programme providing cycling opportunities for people of all ages with a disability or differing need. Wheels for All Oxford is based at Horsepath Road Athletics Track. The title of this article is Framer Puts Pen to Paper
3: for Book. A picture framer who has run his business for almost 50 years has written a book about village life. Graham Q, 78, established his framing business in Minster Lovell in 1975 and has now penned a book detailing the village. Minster Boy is set in the 1940s when a five-year-old Mr Q moved to Oxfordshire, charting his progression towards adulthood. The book follows Mr Q's previous work, Discovering Minster Lovell, which is now in its third edition. Mr. Q said, The first book went well over the years and people told me to write about growing up in the village and the wartime. It's essentially an autobiography with my mum acting as a tour guide. It covers the trials and tribulations of adjusting to life in the village right the way through to being a teenager and what it was like at the time. I've tried to make it historical amusing and sensitive. Minster Boy is available to purchase from the village post office spa and from Mr Q's workshop in Burford Road. It's a shame major booksellers don't sell local interest books anymore as the book is about how things have changed and will bring home memories for a lot of people, said Mr Q. He added, I'm self-published and did all the work here at my workshop while a couple of friends did the illustrations. Without an official launch, it's been difficult to get people to know about the book.
4: And the next story is headlined, Thames Water Criticised Over Sewage During Wetland Event. Wetlands have been created as part of plans sponsored by Thames Water to protect and enhance the river evenload but concerned local people say sewage pollution from the water firm itself is causing many of the problems. The Evenload is one of the headwaters of the Thames, running through the rural communities of the Cotswolds. The Smarter Water Catchments initiative was launched at Magpie Farm in Chipping Norton with community leaders, developers and councillors. The new wetland habitats were created by the Evenload Catchment Partnership, which includes Thames Water, Atkins, the landowner, the Environment Agency, and Natural England. They have been designed to reduce phosphorus runoff from farmland, create natural flood management, and boost biodiversity and recreational opportunities. The Smarter Water Catchments Initiative is a £3 million project to bring together organisations, community groups and residents to improve ecological status of the Evenlode and other rivers in the area. Richard Aylard, the Thames Water Sustainability Director, said We are keen to play our full part in protecting and enhancing our precious rivers and streams. While there is still a long way to go, the ambition is clear. Working in partnership with local stakeholders, we've set out our collective plans to improve the loads' ecological status by reducing pollution, restoring physical habitats and improving water quality. However, campaigners say data they have collected suggests that sewage pollution from the water company itself is causing many of the problems volunteers have been monitoring its impact and measuring phosphorus since early 2019. Vaughan Lewis of the Evenload Catchment Partnership, a group of organisations working to protect the river, said, The data they have collected shows significant and consistent changes in water quality between locations upstream and downstream of several of the sewage treatment works. Additional study by volunteers has shown more than 100 times the recommended maximum limit of the gut bacteria E. coli downstream of the sewage treatment works in Church Hamburg as an example. High levels of phosphorus have consequences for the whole river ecosystem, affecting biodiversity and causing algal blooms that deprive other species of nutrients.
1: And now three more news in brief items. Firstly, Clarkson gets pair of Game of Thrones pups. Jeremy Clarkson has added a couple of furry new members to his team at Diddley Squat Farm. A short video posted on the farm's social media shows two red fox Labrador puppies playing with a set of car keys, going for a drive. Mr Clarkson, the star of Clarkson's Farm on Amazon Prime Video, introduced the puppies named Sansa and Arya, who are sisters in Game of Thrones, to his followers with a social media post at the end of last month, October the 22nd. Since then, the former Top Gear presenter has been sharing more short videos of the puppies on Instagram and Facebook to give his audience a small peek into their activities. He has shown them taking their first walk, running and playing. The second item is headed, carving knife offence. A woman has been given a suspended sentence for possession of a carving knife. Joanna Barber, 56, has been due to stand trial on allegations of a fray and damage to a door in a house in Woodstock on August the 20th. But prosecutor Kirsty Ullman said the Crown would be offering no evidence. Barber of Great Rollwright had already admitted possession of a black carving knife in Blackberry Way, Woodstock. At Crown Court, Judge Ian Pringle, QC, imposed six months' imprisonment, suspended for 18 months. A restraining order prevents Barber from contacting her victim. And the third item is food delivery initiative to help independents. A business which allows customers to shop from independent food retailers has launched. Trove is an online service to enable people to shop from local independent stores and get items in a single delivery. It is operating in West Oxfordshire with plans to prove the concept before moving into new areas. Suppliers include Chadlington Quality Foods and Hook Norton Butchers. Trove co-founders Victoria Ayres and Felicity Beasley hope it will support the local high street. Miss Ayers said, at a time when the people need them most, local producers and food retailers are disappearing. Innovation is the answer to saving this industry for future generations.
2: And this story also involves Jeremy Clarkson and is entitled, Greta in Firing Line as Star Jeremy Berates COP26. Greta Thunberg deserves a smacked bottom, TV star Jeremy Clarkson has said in his Sunday Times column. The presenter criticised the young activist, describing her as an annoying little bucket of ego for her actions and behaviour at COP26. He also criticised BBC journalists who, according to him, fawned like they were soap stars being introduced to the Queen. He wrote, they didn't call the annoying little bucket of ego your majesty, but you could see they were thinking it. I simply don't get the Thunberg phenomenon. She has no knowledge of how the world works, no manners and no letters after her name because instead of going to school, she's been busy sailing around the world so she can be mardy and abusive to grown-ups. What she needs is a smacked bottom. He also said, Rod Liddle calls her the Swedish Doom Goblin, which is, of course, brilliant, but she's worse than that. She's a pest. However, he did agree with Greta that COP26 was pointless, because regular people already know what needs to be done to make a change. He wrote, In essence, she said that there was no point listening to whatever the the COP26 politicians were saying inside their important meetings, because the people outside knew what had to be done and could just get on and do it. Addressing the 18-year-old activist, he said, So here's a tip, Greta. Lecturing me on what needs to be done is pointless. The Grand Tour TV presenter suggested she go to countries where people were less aware of these issues, China, for example. Air Ambulance Service
3: has reached patients' landmark. Thames Valley Air Ambulance has reached a milestone after treating its 5,000th patient since the charity became an independent healthcare provider in October 2018. In three years... Thames Valley Air Ambulances paramedics and doctors have come to the aid of 5,000 people across the community when every second counts. Before 2018, its paramedics were provided by the NHS. From road collisions to cardiac arrests and sport and leisure injuries, the crew is trained for every eventuality. With both a helicopter and a fleet of critical care response vehicles stocked with advanced life-saving drugs and kit, Thames Valley Air Ambulance brings hospital-level care to the roadside. The ability to perform procedures and administer drugs above and beyond those available on a traditional ambulance means the charity fights to give patients the best chance of survival and recovery. Adam Panter, Chief Operating Officer at Thames Valley Air Ambulance said, Reaching this milestone is a bittersweet moment for our team. Although we are proud to have helped so many people in our community, we are all too aware that behind every number is a real person who has been through significant trauma. We don't want anything bad to happen to anyone, but if it does, the care our paramedics and doctors can deliver on scene can make all the difference when it matters most. 5,000 may seem like a big number, but the actual number of people touched by our charity is likely to be even higher, as our aftercare service provides ongoing support to former patients, their loved ones, and even bystanders. When you need us, we will be with you every step of the way. Of the 5,000 patients treated... 1,855 were in, in Berkshire, 1,784 were in Buckinghamshire, 1200, 12, 000, sorry, 1,202 were in Oxfordshire and 159 were from the surrounding areas. The three most frequent types of incident were road collisions, cardiac arrests and accidental injuries. As a charity, Thames Valley Air Ambulance relies on the support of the community to deliver its life-saving service. Without donations, it would not be able to function. The charity's critical care paramedics and doctors are highly trained and ready for any eventuality. Every day, somebody in the community could be in urgent need of its service.
4: And my next story is headlined, House Builder is Sponsoring Team Kit. A house builder is supporting children in sport by sponsoring a local football team. Red Row Thames Valley, currently building at Blaze Park in Milton, near Abingdon, has donated £500 to supply an under-13s football team with new kits. The kits for Harwell and Hendred Youth Football Club will enable the club to continue to support children to stay active and enjoy sport in a community-led environment. Children as young as four can join the club, which aims to bring excellent footballing opportunities for all generations to enjoy. Sarah Boyce, sales director for Red Road Thames Valley, said... Grassroots football is an invaluable part of community life, which is why we are delighted to support Harwell and Hendred Youth Football Club as part of our commitment to creating thriving communities. Even in these chillier months, it's great to see sport uniting the community together. As well as promoting physical and mental well being, playing sport allows children to develop important life skills, from team building to communicating effectively which will put them in good stead at school and throughout their lives. Ben Peach, coach at Harwell and Hendred Youth Football Club, said, We're thrilled to have Red Row Thames Valley sponsoring our under-13s team kit. The children have missed out on so much training this time over the last year and are thrilled to be back on the pitch with a fantastic kit. And the story is illustrated with that team... Uh, the Howell and Hendred boys, in their new kit with uh, red row emblazoned across the front of predominantly black shirts with lime green sleeves, black shorts and lime green socks.
1: Trapped and my entire body shouted at me to run. That is a quote from reporter Sophie Perry about her experiences at H.R. Wallingford. And she goes on, Unlike most of my Monday mornings, which start with emails and meetings, I spent November 1st submerged in a car in waist-deep, chilly, gravy-coloured water. I was invited by Oxfordshire Fire and Rescue to visit H.R. Wallingford to take part in water rescue exercises to highlight the dangers of being caught in a flash flood. The day of my visit was not without purpose, coinciding with the COP26 World Leaders' Summit, The exercise, where I would assume the role of casualty, whose vehicle was marooned in water, sought to show how urban environments are increasingly impacted by flooding due to climate change. Lab manager David Todd of HR Wallingford said, As climate change intensifies, flooding becomes more common, resulting in more incidents involving people getting into difficulties in open water. Our work is increasingly focused on dealing with the challenges presented by this challenging world, and we usually use our facilities for global engineering projects. (laughs) Sophie Perry continues, Before I arrived at HR Wallingford on Monday, I cannot lie, I was quite terrified. It's human nature not to put ourselves in harm's way, and my entire body was shouting at me to turn around and run in the other direction. The idea of voluntarily getting into a sunken car seemed like a terrible idea. However, the journalist in me saw it as a fantastic way to experience the work of the fire service up close and personal. So, I pushed my doubts aside and quite literally took the plunge. First, I was given a safety talk by Jules Frank, Oxfordshire County Council's Fire and Rescue Service Training Manager... And then I was placed in a fully waterproof gear before heading into the water. The huge pool used in the exercise is part of the facilities at Global Research Centre, HR Wallingford, where conditions can be adjusted to simulate stormy weather, crashing waves and strong currents. As I was placed into the submerged car, I thought about how terrifying it would be if this was real life, to be trapped with a brave rescue team, the only thing standing between your life and death. Thankfully, it was an exercise and help was quickly at hand. I got to witness the truly heroic and invaluable skills of Oxfordshire Fire and Rescue as they swiftly sought to get me out of the water. I was rescued from the car twice. First, the rescue team guided me on in line to safety. And secondly, I was whisked to shore after climbing aboard a life raft which I accessed through the boot of the car. The idea behind the exercise was to show why residents shouldn't drive into flood water, large puddles and fords. Mr Frank explained, Over recent years we've used a number of open natural water courses, such as lakes and rivers, including locks and weirs, training our crews in a wide range of environments that they're likely to encounter on emergency calls. However, as the urban environment is increasingly likely to suffer from floods, H.R. Wallingford's facility gives us an opportunity to replicate those climate-related conditions to our exact specifications. It wouldn't be practical to create floods for training elsewhere without causing damage to property and the local environment. Well, that's
0: all we've got time for, so please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. And do remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before you post it back to us. And could you please do that as soon as possible, because we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. And can I remind you that if there is any week that you've not received your memory stick, for whatever reason... If there's a problem with producing the sticks, you can always listen on the phone by dialing 01993 555 986. So it only remains now for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we've used tonight. Thank you also to our technical expert Eric Imerson and our copiers, who will be Eric and Valerie. Uh, they're going to be copying the memory sticks in a moment. And then there are our volunteers who are checking the pouches and the memory sticks that you've returned and keeping records of this in our register. And this evening they were Doreen Turner and Jenny Wade. And finally, our four readers were Nigel, Amanda, Valerie, and Alan. And I know we'd all like to say goodbye, and so until our next edition.
2: Goodbye. Goodbye. TNF Soundings.
3: Features from across the UK.
6: Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights starting with Saturday, November thirteenth, and a popular comedy programme, the Now Show on Radio 4 at 1230. Steve Punt and Hugh Dennis lead a team which takes a quizzical look of the week's news through stand-up comedy and sketches. For those of you who enjoy drama on the radio, there's a real treat in store on Radio 4 Extra at 4. Not About Heroes, a dramatised account of the first meeting between the World War I poet Siegfried Sassoon and Wilfred Owen, as they recovered at the Craig Lockhart War Hospital in the summer of 1917. In their own way, these two young men from very different backgrounds used their poetry to bring home the true horrors of the battles of the Great War and the suffering, both physically and psychologically, that the men fighting on the front line had to endure. The poet and children's author, Michael Rosen, reunites with the medical staff who cared for him during his battle with coronavirus in The Reunion on Radio 4, 10.15pm. Michael was seriously ill for a long period in hospital and acknowledges his debt to those who cared for him during his slow recovery. Kirsty Walk chairs the reunion. Sunday, November 14th is Remembrance Sunday, so it seems appropriate to begin with drawing your attention to Radio 4, from 10.30 to 11.45, the broadcast from the Cenotaph in Whitehall on the Ceremony of Remembrance, which includes the two-minute silence and the last post presenter is Paddy O'Connell. Poppies feature prominently on Remembrance Sunday and we can learn more about them in the Poppy Factory on Radio 4 Extra at 3.30. Chris Ledgard meets the former servicemen and women who make Remembrance poppies and wreaths at a factory in Richmond opened in 1922 by Major George Howson. During the programme, Chris talks to Mr and Mrs King who produce 5,000 poppies every week from home. From Poppies to Cherries, the broadcast on Radio 3 at 7.30, The Cherry Orchard by Anton Chekhov. This adaptation by Catherine Tozer from Chekhov's 1903 play stars Emma Fielding as the woman who returns to her family estate after five years in Paris to face unseemingly insurmountable debts. A local businessman offers her a way out, but there will be a price to pay, isn't there always? And Radio 3 at just after 10 o'clock on Sunday, ending the weekend with the BBC singer's under-conductor, Sophie Jeenan, who perform choral music for Remembrance Sunday. They present a sequence of music based on the Office of Compline, the final church service of the day. This should provide a relaxing and thoughtful way to end this special day. On to a couple of programmes then that are regular programmes throughout the week at the same time. ...on the same radio station. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Radio 4 at 9.45, Trick Mirror. This is a collection of essays on modern life... ...written and read by American author Gia Tolatino... ...which begins with an exploration... ...of the psychological impact of the internet... ...even on those who don't use it. And Radio 4 at one forty-five each day, all week. Monday to Friday, the ever-popular... ...A History of the World in a 100 Objects. Neil MacGregor begins by exploring the Russian Revolution through an examination of a plate that was made in 1901 and then decorated for use as a propaganda tool 20 years later. On to the rest of the week, starting with Monday, November 15th. A Mosley must fall on Radio 4 at 2.15. This drama by Martin McNamara is set in London in 1936. As political unrest sweeps across Europe, an Irish family living in Whitechapel comes divided by the rising influence of Oswald Mosley and his fascist followers. Radio 4 at 4, Dostoevsky and the Russian soul, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Dr Rowan Williams, considers what the Russian author's life and thought can reveal about the country today. As a young man, the Russian author found himself facing a firing squad. The event changed his life, writing and views on Russia's place in the world. Radio 3 at 7.30 throughout the evening in concert. Fiona Talkington presents a concert from Switzerland with the Basel Symphony Orchestra. The concert includes Beethoven's 4th Symphony. And followers of blues music will no doubt prefer to tune in to Radio 2 at 9 o'clock for an hour of Keris Matthews presenting The Blues Show. It follows the usual format of mixing new releases with classic tracks from the archives. Tuesday, November 16th. Radio 4 at 11.30, The Talented Mrs Highsmith, in which the writer Sarah Dunant reveals the inside story behind the writing of Patricia Highsmith's A Typical Love Story, A Price of Salt. A new series of shortcuts begins in the afternoon on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock with Red. Josie Long presents an audio venture of the colour red. Among the contributors, a redhead who wanders into the world's largest gathering of redheads, and a pianist who watches notes of red emerge from a piano. This is followed on Radio 4 at 3.30 by an episode from Costing the Earth. In my toxic cocktail, the environmentalist Anna Turns investigates the fact not only are we surrounded by synthetic chemicals in our everyday lives, but they also make their way into our bodies. Not very easy listening, perhaps, but quite informative and instructive. And a lighter note to finish the day, the jazz show on Radio 2 at 9 o'clock till 10. The singer and pianist Jamie Cullum shares his love for jazz from heritage tracks to contemporary sounds, including interviews, up-and-coming acts and live performances. Wednesday, November 17th, the afternoon drama on Radio 4 at 2.15 is an episode from the series Stone called Wishing Well. DCI Stone and his team are called in when a dead body is discovered on an abandoned traveller site, but they struggle to persuade anyone to help with their inquiries. Also on Radio 4, At 4, The Secret of Success, an episode from the series Sideways. The journalist Matthew Syed uses the experience of Lee Chambers, who, from his parents' bedroom, made a fortune by founding an e-commerce video games business. In spite of this, he always felt a total failure. Matthew asks us to question the toxic myths we are fed about success and to reconsider what achievement really means. And the Classic FM concert at eight is invariably worth tuning into. Tonight, no exception, with their European tour stopping in Italy. During the two-hour broadcast, we have music from, among others, Ennio Morricone, Verdi and Rossini. Thursday, November 18th, Radio 4, at 11am, a new series of crossing continents, with salmon wars. Sockeye salmon migrate 900 miles from the Pacific to 6,500 feet up in the mountains of Idaho, where they spawn and die. Now they're facing a new obstacle from dams that are designed to help grain growers and power producers. Heather Drizen investigates the bitter fight going on between Native American tribes, conservationists and, of course, big business. The drama on Radio 4 Extra at 3 till 4 has a watery theme in that offshore is set among a group of houseboat dwellers in 1960s London. This dramatisation of Penelope Fitzgerald's Booker Prize winning novel examines how these people live their lives shifting, like their homes, between land and water. They are precariously anchored by half-baked plans and futile hopes and need to fix their lives as much as their barges. And if you think that keeping your brain active is a commendable aim in life, you might enjoy Think with Pinker. Radio 4, 4 o'clock. Psychologist Professor Stephen Pinker invites listeners to join him in thinking about thinking. His aim is to make everyone make better decisions to steer society away from common fallacies and logical traps. Finally, Friday, November 19th. And we'll begin with the perennial favourite, Desert Island Discs. Radio 4, 9 o'clock with the castaway Joe De Silva, an inspirational engineer who received damehood for her contribution to humanitarian relief work. Someone else who witnessed suffering was Ahmed Kathrada, who was imprisoned with Nelson Mandela on Robben Island. In the Radio 4 broadcast at 2.45, in prison with Nelson Mandela, this anti-apartheid activist reflects on his time behind bars and how he came to terms with captivity. It's only 15 minutes, but it's well worth listening to. 7:15 Seven fifteen on Radio four, add to playlist. I mentioned this a few times in recent weeks, two presenters of musical items, Jamie Cullum and Keris Matthews, who are joined by Geoffrey Buake to add another five tracks to the growing playlist that spans all musical styles from pop, rock, reggae, hip hop to classical, jazz, folk and country. It certainly sounds like a eclectic evenings listening. Immediately following that programme, why not stay tuned to Radio 4 for any questions at 8. For 50 minutes, Chris Mason presents political debate and discussion from St Joseph's College in Stoke-on-Trent. The panel includes comedian Jeff Norcott and writer Jeanette Winterson. However, if you'd rather give politics a miss on a Friday night, you could tune to the Classic FM concert at 8 for two hours of musical relaxation. Tonight's programme includes Elgar's Cello Concerto, Quite a way to end the week. And that's how we end this week's radio highlights. May I wish you a peaceful, safe, and enjoyable week of radio listening.
2: TNF Soundings.
5: TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK.
7: Hello this is Val Bell with my selection of audio described television programmes for the week beginning Saturday the 13th to Friday the 19th of November 2021. Starting with Saturday the 13th of November. On BBC2 all the morning programmes from 8.30 to 12.30 are audio described starting at 8.30 with Operation Gold Rush with Dan Snow. The team set up a 19th century style mining camp. At 9.30, Hughes Wild West, the Wye Valley. The following two programmes were originally shown last Thursday evening. At 10.30, Mary Berry loved to cook. Dishes using ingredients that can be cultivated in the garden and at 11am, Nadia's Fast Flavours. Nadia rustles up a beef vindaloo. At 12.30pm, the Earthshot Prize, Repairing Our Planet. Prince William introduces the finalists for the Earthshot Prize to build a waste-free world. All these programmes are on BBC Two. On ITV at 12.55pm, Gino's Italian Family Adventure – The Hidden Delights of Sardinia On BBC One at 3.45pm, the Great Rickshaw Relay Challenge. Matt Baker and a team of five youngsters supported by projects funded by children in need take on a relay-style ride in five stages through their home towns visiting places that hold a particular significance for them. The afternoon film on ITV at 4pm is Mamma Mia, a musical romantic comedy featuring the music of Abba. On an idyllic Greek island, Sophie Sheridan prepares to marry the man of her dreams, but a problem looks set to blight the big day, as the bride doesn't know who her father is. So Sophie sends invitations to three men who might fit the bill, hoping to solve the riddle once her guests arrive. On ITV3, there are three episodes of Midsummer Murders at 5pm, 7pm and 9pm, starting with Not In My Backyard. An open gardens event at Swanscombe House turns sour when a planning dispute leads to murder. Superpowered Owls is on BBC Two at 6pm. Through the eyes of two barn owl chicks, this natural world film reveals the superpowers that make the owl the supreme nocturnal bird of prey. At 6.30pm on ITV, Moneyball. Ian Wright hosts as Helen, Bobby, Gavin and Sydney take on the giant money-making machine known as the launcher. Can any of them win enough cash to fulfil their dreams? This is followed at 7.30pm, also on ITV, by celebrity catchphrase. Comedian Russell Kane, broadcaster Charlene White, and interior design maestro Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen try to guess the well-known phrases. Three choices at 8 o'clock. On ITV2, the Bond film Spectre. After foiling a terrorist attack in Mexico City, James Bond picks up the trail of a secret organisation known as Spectre. He infiltrates one of their meetings, only to discover that his every move has been monitored by Spectre's leader. Or on Channel 5 at 8 o'clock, the Madame Blanc Mysteries. Can Jean crack the case when a precious relic from the church is stolen and local priest Father Donadure is found dead? On BBC Two at 8pm, an evening devoted to ABBA begins with ABBA at the BBC, with a collection of some of the group's most memorable performances. Although it isn't shown as being audio described, I have included the Radio Times pick of the day, the Royal British Legion Festival of Remembrance, which is on BBC One at 9pm. In the presence of senior members of the Royal Family, Hugh Edwards hosts this event from the Royal Albert Hall in London. Many artists perform alongside the band of H.M. Royal Marines, the Central Band of the Royal Air Force, and the Soul Sanctuary Gospel Choir. Online sensation Thomas Roberts, a.k.a. Tomfoolery, performs his specially commissioned poem to commemorate 100 years of the poppy as the symbol of remembrance, and the event pays tribute to the centenary of the Royal British Legion and the support it provides to the armed forces community. On to Sunday the 14th of November The final episode of The Hairy Bikers Go North is repeated today at 11.30am on BBC2. Si and Dave explore Tyne and Weir and cook a roast dinner with all the trimmings. This is followed at 12.30pm, still on BBC2, by Rick Stein's Australia, A Cook Abroad. The chef sets off in search of the ingredients that are revolutionising Australian cooking. Frozen Planet is on BBC One at five past four, to the ends of the Earth. At the North Pole, two courting polar bears show their tender side. At 4.30pm on BBC Two, world's busiest cities, Hong Kong. Dan Snow Aide Adepitan and Anita Rani reveal the hidden systems and armies of people running the densely populated Chinese territory. The pet show is on ITV at 5.30pm. James Martin and his dog tackle the agility course. On ITV3 at 5.55pm, time to enjoy the comedy film Dad's Army starring Toby Jones and Bill Nighy. England 1944. When a glamorous reporter is sent to profile the Home Guard, romance rears its head. Doctor Who continues on BBC One at 6.30pm. In the aftermath of Apocalypse, the Doctor, Dan, Yaz and Vinda face a battle to survive on a planet that shouldn't exist. There are two episodes from Series 3 of Call the Midwife on the Drama Channel at 6.45pm. The Larkins continues on ITV at 8pm. The family go to extreme lengths to persuade Mariette not to leave. On BBC One at 8pm, Antique Roadshow, World War One Special. At the Etaples Military Cemetery in France, Fiona Bruce and the team examine objects linked to the Great War, including two poppies picked at Ypres in 1915, a tray made by a soldier blinded by mustard gas, and a document that silenced the guns in 1918. Quite a few choices tonight at nine o'clock. A new series starts on BBC Two, The Lakes with Simon Reeve. The adventurer travels through the Lake District and other parts of Cumbria to explore the changes taking place there. This is the Radio Times pick of the day and documentary of the week. Show trial continues on BBC One at 9pm. Cleo must confront a fresh press scandal. The final part of Angela Black is on ITV at nine o'clock. Angela struggles to prove what Olivia and Theo did to her and realises she will need all her strength, cunning and intelligence to protect her boys from their father. The first World War documentary, They Shall Not Grow Old, is on BBC4 at 9pm. Also at 9pm on ITV3, Our Queen at War, how the life of Princess Elizabeth was shaped by the events of the Second World War and the extraordinary experiences she went through during her teenage years. Monday the 15th of November, starting with some daytime programmes on BBC One. At 11.15am, Holmes Under the Hammer. Visit to properties in Lancashire, Margate and Romford. At 12.15, Bargain Hunt. Today's programme is from Peterborough. At one forty-five pm Doctors. The Doctors struggle in their attempt to bring Makeda out of her coma. At 3pm, Escape to the Country. Jules Hudson helped three generations find a home in Norfolk. At 4.30pm the repair shop, restoring a dilapidated leather chair and a mechanical toy plane that's been grounded for 50 years. All these programmes are on at the same time Monday to Friday, apart from doctors and the repair shop which are Monday to Thursday only. On ITV3 there are two episodes of Poirot starting at 3.50pm With the kidnapped Prime Minister and followed at 4.55pm with The Adventure of the Western Star. Also on ITV3 there are two episodes of Heartbeat at 6pm and 7pm today and at the same time each day this week. Great British Railway Journeys is at 7pm on BBC4. Michael Portillo reaches Bodmin en route to Totnes, as he explores the West Country from St Ives to Salisbury Plain. This programme is on at the same time Monday to Thursday. The third heat of Masterchef The Professionals is at 7.35pm on BBC One and continues at 8.30pm after EastEnders. At 8pm on BBC Four, or Fortune. Fiona Bruce and Philip Mould try to prove that two paintings are works by John Constable. An x-ray reveals one of the series' biggest shocks. Lewis is on ITV3 at 8pm, The Gift of Promise. The brutal murder of a local businesswoman appears to be a blackmail plot gone wrong. But as the body count steadily increases, Lewis and Hathaway realise that they must uncover a decades-old secret. On BBC One at 9pm, The Outlaws. Frank takes time to reflect on his past mistakes in the 1980s, while in the present day, Margaret struggles to let her guard down. The second episode of Inside the Care Crisis with Ed Balls is on BBC Two at 9pm. The former politician's journey continues as he turns his attention to domiciliary care. The final part of Dr Foster is on the Drama Channel, also at 9pm. Gemma carefully plans her final act of revenge. As she takes on a mission to reveal all of Simon's betrayals as explosively as possible. A two parter of DCI Banks is on ITV3 at 10 pm. Aftermath A routine house call leads to a policeman's murder. Part two follows at 11 pm. Tuesday, the 16th of November. On BBC Two at 2.35pm, in Coast, Nick Crane examines a water-powered mechanism that operates the UK's oldest funicular railway at Saltburn-by-the-Sea in North Yorkshire. Two episodes of Poirot on ITV3 this afternoon. At 3.50pm, How Does Your Garden Grow? A Murder Gives Rise to Rumours of a Communist Conspiracy. This is followed at 4.55pm by the million-dollar bond robbery. The Belgian sleuth accompanies a precious cargo to New York. Midsummer Murders is on ITV3 at 8pm. Echoes of the death. The discovery of a woman dressed as a bride drowned in a bath heralds a spate of ghoulish wedding-linked murders. Holby City is on BBC1 at 8.20pm. Lucky is readmitted, while Josh keeps himself occupied with work to avoid telling Ange the truth. At 9pm on BBC One, DIY SOS, the big build children in need special. In Brandesburton near Hull, guest presenter and comedian Rod Gilbert joins the team for an ambitious build in aid of St Michael's youth project. On BBC Two at 9.10pm, the fifth episode of Impeachment, American Crime Story. Do you hear what I hear? Monica grows nervous and paranoid about the case, especially when her subpoena specifies a, a detail few know. At 10pm on ITV3, another two episodes of DCI Banks, or over on the drama channel, New Tricks, is on at the same time. Wednesday 17th of November. An early morning start for Morse fans at 9.15am on ITV3. The Sins of the Fathers. A brewery manager is murdered. Masterchef The Professionals continues with Heat 4 at 7.30pm on BBC One. On BBC Four at 8pm Power of the Planet. Ice, Dr Ian Stewart considers the impact ice has made on human evolution and the nature of the world's surface. Endeavour is on ITV3 at 8pm. It's 1965 and Detective Constable Morse returns to Oxford to investigate the disappearance of a girl. Shetland continues on BBC1 at 9pm. As Perez searches for a link between the murder victims, Tosh leads him to the remote island of Fetler, where they make a fresh discovery. On BBC 4 at 9pm, Charlie Borman, Sydney to Tokyo by any means. Crushed by the disappointment of not being able to get into West Papua on foot, Charlie is forced to take a series of commercial flights in order to resume his journey north to Tokyo. New Tricks is on the Drama Channel at 10pm. Death of a timeshare salesman. The squad reinvestigates the death of a timeshare magnet when a reformed call girl suggests he did not commit suicide. Thursday, the 18th of November. If you want an early start at 8am on BBC Two, there is a repeat of Sign Zone, the second episode of The Mating Game. Revealing how marine creatures meet the challenge of finding a partner by employing some ingenious breeding strategies. Morse is on ITV3 at nine fifteen a.m. Driven to distraction, Lewis and Morse clash over procedure. And there are lots of choices this evening at eight o'clock on BBC One. Sort your life out with Stacey Solomon in their biggest challenge yet. Stacey and her team of expert organisers help the Bradshaw family shed 30 years of clutter in seven days. On BBC Two, Mary Berry loved to cook. Inspired by new flavours and cuisines of plant based foods, Mary makes roasted duck legs, a pan fried prawn dish, a Nordic loaf, and a contemporary take on a passion fruit tart. On BBC4, Walt Disney, the first of a two-part profile of the man behind one of the world's most successful film studios. On ITV3, Vera, Old Wounds. After the remains of a teenage girl are found half-buried in a wood, DCI Vera Stanhope and her colleagues become immersed in a 30-year-old mystery. And finally for 8 o'clock, over on the drama channel, Zen. The death of a famous aristocrat leads Detective Zen into the shadowy world of the Cabal, an organisation more powerful and secret than the Mafia. The Radio Times pick of the day is Nadia's Fast Flavours on BBC Two at 8.30pm. Nadia turns her attention to quick and easy recipes. On BBC One at 9pm, MasterChef The Professionals. Tonight's quarterfinal sees the strongest four chefs from the third and fourth heats return to the kitchen. At 10pm on ITV3, another DC Banks two-parter, Cold is the Grave. Banks' hunt for a colleague's missing daughter and D.S. Cabot's investigation into the execution of an armed robber become shockingly intertwined. And finally, we come to Friday, the 19th of November. Today's edition of Bargain Hunt on BBC One at 12.15pm is a BBC Children in Need special. In Malvern, newsreader Rita Chakrabarty and her daughter Roxy take on actor and comedian John Thompson and his daughter Olivia. Well, it is November, so I suppose it's only to be expected that Christmas will start to feature in some programmes. On BBC Two at 2.25pm, the best Christmas food ever. Paul Ainsworth and Catherine Fulvio share festive recipes including Rib of Beef and Sticky Toffee Pudding. On BBC One at 2.30pm, Garden Rescue, the team set about transforming a sea of gravel and paving into a peaceful haven. Several choices at 8 o'clock tonight. The Wild Gardener is on BBC Two. After 30 years of filming The Creatures of the World, Wildlife cameraman Colin Stafford-Johnson returns home to Ireland on a personal project to transform his childhood garden into a haven for native wildlife. A new four-part series starts on ITV at eight o'clock. Griff's Great New Zealand Adventure Griff Riss jones explores New Zealand along the roads less travelled. He begins his trip in the north with a welcome from a Maori chief at Cape Rayanga. Then it's on to the Bay of Plenty, where he learns more about the whalers and sealers who once came to this hellhole of the Pacific. Over on ITV3 at eight o'clock, there are two episodes of Doc Martin, starting with The Apple Doesn't Fall. Martin fears Louisa might be anemic but she is more concerned about him being her doctor, given their history. This is followed by the second episode at nine o'clock, Movement. Bert is blamed after a number of the patrons at the opening of his new restaurant wake up the next day with food poisoning. Father Brown is on the Drama Channel, also at 8pm. Sid returns to Kembleford to ask his old family to help save his new one. If you want to catch a late-night film, the very funny A Fish Called Wonder is on BBC One at 12.25am, starring John Cleese, Jamie Lee Curtis, Kevin Klein, and Michael Palin. I do hope that you find something from my selection that appeals to you.
2: NF Soundings.